Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. When the pandemic is in the rear window and we can go out safely and be within six feet of friends and strangers, what are the first things you're going to do? In this hour forum, we want to hear your post-pandemic fantasy. Is it a crowded dance floor? A trip around the globe? Simply dropping your kid off at school? Anna Sale, host of the podcast Death, Sex and Money, joins me as we open the phones to take your calls and comments. Forum is next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The prospect of a vaccine being approved soon is giving some people permission to imagine what they'll do post-pandemic. That's what it did for KQED Arts Associate Editor Nastya Voynovskaya, who tweeted out earlier this week the question, what's your post-vaccine fantasy? For Nastya, it includes visiting family in Russia, a big sweaty dance party, movie nights with friends, an indoor restaurant date with her boyfriend. Others who responded to Nastia's tweet wrote, an IRL book club meeting, karaoke, hugging friends, hugging everyone, not having anxiety at the grocery store. And my favorite, having kids hang out in my classroom at lunch to tell me the hot goss. Nastia's tweet and the replies inspired today's show. So listeners, we're opening up the phones, taking your live comments, tell us, What is your post-pandemic fantasy? You can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And already just before the show, we got a couple of tweets. Kayla wrote, theater, live music, riding transit, touching people, dragging my aging body to DNA lounge for a booty mashup dance party with dozens of strangers and singing with a crowd. Ali tweets, giving my great grandma a big hug and making cookies with her. 
Joining me now is Anna Sale, creator and host of the award-winning podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, where she interviews people. I mean, she really talks to people and inspires them to share the deepest parts of themselves. In fact, her new book coming out in May is titled, Let's Talk About Hard Things. Anna Sale, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you on Forum, and you have been having just so many conversations with people about what they're going through during the pandemic. So it's probably not a huge surprise <laughs> that a lot of people are saying that their post-pandemic fantasy really involves being around another person, touching, hugging, dancing. <laughs> Yeah, a lack of caution, like just <laughs> chance encounters, you know, all of those things. Um, I, I've been thinking about this a lot because our episode that we just put out this week, um, it's about a Bay Area couple. One lives on one side of the Bay, the other lives on the other side. They haven't seen each other in person since they went to high school prom together in 1969, but they've gotten back in touch during pandemic and have fallen in love but have not seen each other in person. Wow. And talk about I, wanting to get a fantasy, a post-pandemic <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> they, they do. They want to get together and they want to do it with, with no caution. They want, when they do it, they don't have to wear masks. So they're waiting. Yeah. I mean, that, that story was really amazing too, because they are not, they're refusing to use Zoom, right? Or any other medium where they would actually see each other on a screen. Yeah, they've they've traded old uh, they've traded some photographs from, from 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 later years from when they weren't teenagers, but but they haven't they haven't done the video chat thing. They they are doing phone calls, um, and and that's it. Wow, and are you really gotten to know each other in a deep way that I think would not have been the same if we were not in pandemic times? Are you planning to follow up potentially and hear what oh that? My God, of course. <laughs> I also want to know if they just lose patience and they decide, <laughs> no, we're not going to wait. We're not going to wait. We're just going to go meet in a park. <laughs> well, the other show that you did that I thought was really lovely was just about how people are dealing with the lack of physical touch. And I'm curious sort of what, what you heard in that that sort of made you think about just how important even everyday interactions are. Yeah, this was a series we did with the podcast Love and Radio, and it started with a question that we asked our listeners, um, which was, you know, just like, what are you noticing about the lack of physical touch? And I was sort of anticipating that we were going to hear from a lot of people who, um, you know, maybe aren't in relationship and we're talking about missing dating and missing, you know, being together with someone intimately, that sort of thing. Um, but we we heard some of that and then also heard some things that I hadn't thought of, like a, a single mom in Chicago I talked to, she has an infant, she'd been on maternity leave uh, before shutdown. Um, and she talked about how, you know, she's getting tons of touch, but it's the kind of touch that, that an infant gives, which is kind of a taking touch. It's not really a comforting touch. And she just desperately missed the touch of a grown-up, like someone hugging her mm. back and saying, like, let me take care of you. Um, so I talked to her about, you know, the the kind of awkward, difficult conversations she had um, with family members, extended family members who live nearby about the terms in which they'd feel comfortable being together. 
Well, we've already got calls, lots of comments coming in. Let me go to John in Palo Alto. Hi, John. Hi, good morning. Hi, John. What's your post-pandemic fantasy? Well, um, I'm anxious to resume my annual bicycle across the U.S. trips. Wow. And I'm hoping that by June, which is when I usually go, I can do that. So you bike across the U.S. every year? Yes, ma'am. Wow. That, how long does that take? It's about a month. That's amazing. I'm sorry, two, two months. Two <laughs> months, excuse me. Yeah, that would have been amazing if it were true. <laughs> but wow. Uh, well, John, John, thanks. I mean, traveling is definitely something that is part of a lot of people's post-pandemic desires. I mean, Chris tweets, I was planning a trip to Athens for this year. So being able to take that trip is probably my biggest post-pandemic fantasy. And it, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, in, in many ways, our world shrank so much, right? Just our movements became so much more contained. Yeah. You know what I was just fantasizing about uh, was I was fantasizing about fantasizing about being on a work trip and being in an airport like restaurant and chatting with a stranger at the bar. I mean, that is how much <laughs> this travel. I'm like thinking about being in an airport coming yeah. home from a work trip. <laughs> I know. Right. The things that you're like, OK, God, I got to go do this work trip. Yeah, it is. It's 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 the mundane. Right. I, I mean, uh, just. The real when once it's gone, I mean, just the realization of how much how wonderful it actually really is, and to look at the kinds of things that we get to do with brand new eyes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, I, it's also been fun for me to think about the various trips I want to take, like who I want to travel with. You know, there's, I would like to do a trip with my family, my two little kids and my husband, but oh my gosh, I also would love to do like a trip with a, another mom where we leave our families behind <laughs> and just don't have to take care of anyone and have space. Ah, that's another fantasy. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, for a lot of people, this has been a lot of togetherness. And so I can imagine that there are some solo trips in people's fantasies. Uh, though, that said, there are a lot of people who are really talking about getting together with family that they haven't seen that are significantly older. And so, for example, Ned tweets, having a celebratory get together with my 93-year-old mother, five siblings, mm. and all the grandchildren, just to revel in being together. Again, uh, this other listener tweets, pulling myself together vanity-wise and being on a beach somewhere with my son, his girlfriend, and a friend. There is more, but that's the very first thing I thought of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're glad that this listener was able to immediately imagine and tell us the first thing that came to their minds. But it just reminded me how much extended family people are really missing. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's a huge thing. That's a huge, like I have, I have actually thought about, um, I, I live far from my parents, I live far from many of my sisters, and we've started doing a family zoom call. And, and it is one of those things that I think about, like, oh, I hope that we even when we can gather again and be together, I do hope we keep up this kind of electronic, uh, more regular communication that wasn't a part of our life pre-pandemic, because um, I like the way that uh, this, the, the shrinking in my life, I have felt very far from, from people that I love very much, but I've also felt like um, 
kind of like weirdly, you know, more in touch on a mundane basis, kind of like texting my mom for more recipes because I'm doing more cooking, that kind of thing. Um, so I think that is sort of an interesting shift in in how I think about what I'm missing about family and also how I feel, some ways I feel closer to them now. Yeah, that's one of the things that came up when we were having the discussion about this show was we were also, it sort of naturally came to this question of, well, there are things that I've actually gained during this pandemic, as hard as it has been, there are some pieces of this that I would like to hold on to even after the world opens up again. And it's actually a question that I would like to put out to our listeners to respond to as well, besides what they're imagining post pandemic, like, is there anything that you think you might actually miss from this time, something um, something that you've gained that you didn't expect to gain even among the hardship. You can give us a call again, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can tell us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email your comments to forum at kqed.org. Let me go to Christy in Corte Madera. Hi, Christy. Hi, good morning. So what would you like to share? More than anything, more than travel, I would love to have my kids' friends in the house. Just mm. have my house filled with kids. I'm really missing that. How, how many kids do you have? And I have two 17-year-olds. Two so I have twins, 17-year-olds. Oh and they're juniors this year. And I just, I'm missing that time with their friends and getting to know them. Yes, just the energy that just naturally comes up when you actually have like bodies together. <laughs> yes, and just the joy and, you know, their, their insights. They're amazing. Well, thanks for sharing that, Christy. And, and Kayla tweets, I hope we can keep an awareness of how vulnerable we all are and how much we need to take care of each other. Definitely, if, if there's anything that this pandemic has done, has definitely shown us just how vulnerable we are. And we will get to more of your comments and calls after the break. I'm talking with Anna Sale of Death, Sex and Money. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Anna Sale of the podcast Death, Sex and Money is here with me to hear your post-pandemic fantasy. What are you imagining you'll do when the pandemic is in the rear window and we can safely be within, say, six feet of friends and family members? Or if you'd like, tell us if there's anything you might actually miss from this time, something that as hard as the pandemic has been, that you feel like you gained from it. The number to call 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Anna, just before the break, you know, we I read that uh, tweet from a listener about just remembering how vulnerable we are. And there was this reply to Nastia's tweet earlier in the week where the person wrote that the top of their list was dying people being able to have as many loved ones around them as they want and a care team that's not overwhelmed. And it, it's just such such an important reminder of just how how intense this time has been how much we've lost but also just the beauty of being able to be around others in those final moments and not being able to have that it reminded me a little bit also of the episode that you had done on your podcast about how the pandemic was making people think about aging um getting older their mortality yeah, I mean, that's something that's been interesting um, hearing from listeners who are older. We we actually asked people who are 60 and older in our listening audience to tell us how this time has made them think about their age in a different way. Um, and one thing we heard sort of overwhelmingly was, uh, you know, that, that a year ago they were being told that 65 was the new 45, and now they're being told that they're, you know, a, a vulnerable population that needs to stay home. Um, and that 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 sort of shock of um, having to absorb the existential reality of aging uh, alongside everything else. Um, and, and, you know, and I do think that awareness of um, death is is something we also heard, not just from our from our older listeners, but from from everybody, like, um, I think that because we have not been able to gather in the ways that um, we are used to uh, when we do lose someone we love. Um, I don't know if you've been on a Zoom memorial service, but I have, and it's certainly uh, not satisfying. It's doing what it it's doing what it can, but it's not satisfying. It's a hard thing to press into and just have it be over. Um, but that awareness of death and and that kind of like urge to show up for one another in mm. the face of death, I, I'm going to be interested to see how that, um, you know, just how that looks in our post-pandemic lives, um, because we've seen how hard it is to not uh, be able to show up. Like if if we are all a little braver, um, stepping towards um, those people in our life who are who are ailing or or who are um, you know close to death, um, and maybe we'll be able to talk about death a little bit um, more coherently. Well, Charlie writes, "How do you have this conversation without being classist?" I asked you to position this conversation within our class and income diverse community without assumptions. Aren't there people just waiting to get the chance to be able to work? 
or to be able to afford their rent? What about people who will lose housing after the pandemic ends because the moratorium against eviction and foreclosure will be ended? What about folks who will never live again or never have health again? I'm thinking about things we want to keep the same, washing hands, keeping life simpler, less going out, etc. I'm lucky enough to be planning a trip in my mind to New England. Um, Charlie's point is such an important point. I mean, one of the things, too, that that we've been talking about on forum and we'll be talking about more is just the incredible inequalities that this pandemic has really laid bare and just the the incredible sense of gratitude for what we do have um, and for the hope uh, for what we can have once this ends and that you know, we have all reached some new level of understanding where we won't allow anyone to fall off an economic cliff. Yeah, I, I think that comment is really important. Um, and it's something that I like just in our lives right now during the pandemic, post pandemic, I, I think uh, I have have thought a lot about the ways that, um, you know, the hurt is is not equally distributed and it compounds. And so, uh, you know, whether it's people in our lives or people we interact with through commerce, like you are seeing the ways that um, some people are have been able to insulate themselves quite well from from the devastating impacts on our economy, and some are just being hit from all corners. So, the ways in which we talk about that, the ways in which we talk about our obligations to one another, the ways we talk about our government's role in uh, providing a safety net that is functional and also easy to navigate. Um, I think we've seen some real gaping holes there uh, in these past several months. So um, yes, I think that is something, a really important point about imagining our pandemic future. Yeah. Uh, well, and Noel tweets, my post-pandemic fantasy is going to a bar with live music. What I want to keep from living through the pandemic is equanimity. Carl in Calistoga, join us. Hi, Carl. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. So I love your show and love this conversation. I can relate to pretty much everything that's been shared. A couple of specific things that just jumped to mind uh, connecting with or you're talking about awareness of mortality and so forth. My, my parents are in their upper 80s. Uh, they live in Guelph, Ontario, Canada. Mm. And uh, my wife and I recently retired. You know, the first thing that we would love to do is go and visit my parents. And, you know, while they're still in the game, very active and alert and everything. But, you know, um, <laughs> that's not going to be forever. And... Um, and they moved recently from uh, their, you know, home into a new place, which was a, a huge seismic event in their life. And we just had to stand on the sidelines. So that's really hard. The other thing is just um, I miss every Friday for years. Uh, I pick up my granddaughters at their school in Windsor. And then we do fun adventures and um, with school closed and with their mom working at home. And with COVID restrictions, you know, I can't do any of that. And it's, it's really hard, yeah. really sad. And I can't wait for it to end. Well, I'm with you, Carl. Thanks for sharing that. Let me go to Anne in Santa Barbara next. Hi, Anne. Hi, how are you today? I'm well. How are you, Anne? 
Thank you. Uh, you know, I wanted to kind of reflect back on your comment about the aging issue because I'm 67 and uh, I'm a stage four lymphoma survivor. And uh-huh. I had um, had been thinking for a number of years. And seven years ago, I went to UCLA to, to look at their graduate school program in, in um, public health. And I'd sort of just put that on the back burner and thought about it. And then as, um, you know, the lockdowns, came about it, why not apply and see what happens? And I got mm-hmm. accepted. So now I'm in this executive master's program at UCLA, and it's absolutely phenomenal. I have, I feel more life and more excitement about what's ahead of me. I'm finding that the younger students, probably the average age is late 30s, how interested they are to have someone in their class who has maybe some perspective and experience yeah. And I don't know, it, it makes me feel really, it makes me feel very hopeful. I hope that other people that are in my age group that are out there listening, um, you know, that, that there's really so much available to us, and we're not done yet. We have a lot to offer. <laughs> we really, really do. And uh, just our stories. They're interested in how we've approached things and how we've dealt with things. And, you know, when the pill came out, did we have sex? You know, I mean, just funny things, but... but, uh, (laughs) Important things, yeah. (laughs) Important things, you know, important things, you know, or that, you know, I'm there, I want to do really well. I got straight A's my first quarter, but I'm not there to compete with anybody. I'm there to learn. And to, if I mentor someone along the way, fabulous. And I do hope that at some point I can be a spokesperson for public health because we are a community and we need to work together to get through this. And we will. Yes. I mean, and really quick, I just wanted to, to ask you, how has it been to also just be able to interact with a whole bunch of different people, you know, through the class? It's been brilliant. I actually would never have thought I'd want to do on-distance learning or, you know, long-distance learning, I love going to school on Zoom because I can see my 30 classmates. I can see everybody's facial expressions and body language. You can see the eye rolls. You can see the smiles. You can see the, oh, my God, we're doing biostatistics. This is so boring. You can see the exhaustion in, you know, there's a primary care physician in um, Solvang, who's, who works with the Native American population and the underprivileged, and he is so exhausted, he hasn't da- had a day off, but he's showing up for, you know, public health ch- education because he thinks he will be able to make a mark in the world that he operates in, and uh, it, it's it's yeah. actually wonderful. It's just wonderful. <laughs> I, can't, I, mean, and, I don't really necessarily want to drive to UCLA next year when we can go back. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Anne. I mean, part of the reason that I asked Anne about that, Anna, was because, you know, one of the things that I realized is that um, is that working from home you know, and I was mentioning earlier that that my world has shrunk a little bit. I think mm-hmm. it's really made me appreciate the kind of job I have where I where I get to interact oh, yes. with our listeners and interact with guests. And I'm sure they think they're all there, you know, to tell me about the findings of their latest report or national <laughs> or state politics. But really, they're like filling also a giant need that I have for conversation and connection and broadening my world, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I I found that I thought a lot about that this summer. I was w- staying with um, my my in laws uh, for help with childcare in Wyoming, and I was hosting 
our podcast and I was doing interviews about um, all of the protests about racial justice and, and what people were thinking about in their relationship to America. And, and here I was in a very small town in Wyoming and felt very far away from the center of, of where these protests were happening in the streets and, and in a way that was felt very hard as a journalist. And I felt really grateful to be able to have just, you know, that connection, even though it wasn't in person over the line to hear about what people were thinking and feeling and joining together um, uh, in pursuit of, um, and it, and it helped me, you know, it, it was satisfying to be able to do that work. And also, you know, for me, a huge part of my mental health is is feeling connected, um, not just to people in my immediate family, but I'm an extrovert and I need that. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm here. Mina, call me when you need, <laughs> you know, when you're off the air and just need that little fix. We can just talk on the phone. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jeffrey tweets, my post-pandemic dream is returning to rehearsal of the Golden Gate Men's Chorus. I have so oh. missed singing with my brothers. Similarly, Robin writes, I love the sound of an audience singing their favorite song along with the performer always brings tears of joy, even now telling you about it. I'm a sound engineer and long to hear these live performances soon, please. And uh, let me go to Ginny in San Francisco. Hi, Ginny. Hi, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, along the same lines of what you were just talking about, I miss playing trumpet with the San Francisco Lesbian Gay Freedom Band. We had our last in-person rehearsal on March 10th. And since then, we've been doing everything virtually, and it's really difficult. It's not yeah. the same. You know, you know, Jerry writes something similar. As a musician in San Francisco, what I really long for is playing concerts for live audiences. It's been a steep learning curve, pivoting to online formats with some truly inspired and amazing results. But there is nothing like the connection one feels, that direct connection to in-person audiences. Well, Ginny, thanks for that. And Jerry, thanks for that, too. It is amazing, isn't it, that singing was like one of the most hazardous, singing in a room in an indoor space was like one of the most hazardous things that you could do during this pandemic, when at the same time, it's just so healing and therapeutic. <laughs> Anna. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, 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 hearing from musicians and singers, like I, I want to hear you, I want to be in a room with you. And I ache for that you have not been able to do what you love. Um, that's a that's a real gaping hole right now, being able to play music together. Carrie in San Francisco, what do you want to say? Um, well, you know, I was going to make a comment on what we're going to miss. And what I've found in this um, is I have like a new appreciation for where I live, actually, my neighbors. Because mm -hmm. prior to this, like we've all been home, right? So part of this, like I might see my neighbor walking the dog outside and you'd just be like, cute dog and keep going, you know, but now it's a little slower. So we might stand 10 feet away and have a small talk. And I mean, we almost have like a bartering thing going on right now. I was actually doing sourdough before the pandemic, but now I don't take my bread into work. So I started giving it to my neighbors and they started giving me tomato shoots or you know, homemade hummus or somebody was making these really great fabric masks, you know, and it's like we have like it's a different connection to the neighborhood We're we're not quite as busy. So um, that's kind of what I think I'm going to miss is when we get back to the regular swing of things. 
Well, Carrie, thanks. I, I mean, Ciara writes something like, I appreciate being able to slow down, rethink our frenetic lives, not have to commute for hours a day and have more time to spend with our immediate families. I have loved seeing more people out walking, families going to the beach together and getting to know my neighbors more. So I think uh, Ciara's with you. And then Elizabeth writes, I'll continue my daily walks around San Francisco and I will continue to look up and notice how beautiful the homes are in the neighborhoods around the city. I mean, yes, just appreciating where you live um, and all the beauty that surrounds you because you look harder for it, I think, when when your world is smaller. And I was talking with producer Judy Campbell, who produced this segment, and she was just talking about how she was surprised at how much she likes being home. I mean, she's a huge extrovert. She's very social, right? But she realized that there was something really lovely in just being in her home, in her neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, I have gotten into like watering my plants as a ritual. You know, it's really fun to like really be able to closely monitor how your plants are going in your house. Previously, I was a I was quite a plant killer. Um, so I feel quite proud that that it, they're thriving. Um, yeah, just that that being home. And I definitely also feel that in my neighborhood. And I hope I hope it's something that's gonna hang on even after we get a little bit more frenetic. I hope that um, these these uh, ties that we're working on and building right now hang around. Yeah. Um, after the vaccine is is working in, and, in the community. I've heard similar things from people who work um, every day, because regardless, like you come home to the same place, like you're not you're not able to really have much more of an expanded interaction outside of work and home, you know, so your home uh, really is that only other spot. Uh, Paul writes, which I think is really an interesting point. I'm an ER nurse and talk about this regularly with my colleagues. We all look forward to not feeling anger toward a public that doesn't take this seriously and risks public safety by not wearing masks, gathering for parties and other behaviors proven to spread the disease. I long for the peace of mind that comes with normalcy. Mm. I, that's really just thinking that he's not saying um, stressed or anxious. He's saying anger. Um, I just, wow. That's to think about doctors and ER nurses and people in our healthcare system talking about that sense of anger at the public is um, it's, it, it's arresting. Yes. We're talking with Anna Sale. Uh, she's joining me to hear your post-pandemic fantasies today. She's hosted the podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. She's also written a new book. It's called Let's Talk About Hard Things, and it comes out in May. And you, our listeners, are with us. If you have more thoughts on your post-pandemic fantasies or things that you'd like to share with us about what you'll miss from this time as hard as it's been, call us 866-733-6786, email us forum at kqed.org, or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. More after the break. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
This is Mina Kim, and you're listening to Forum. I'm joined by Anna Sale, host of the podcast Death, Sex, and Money. And we're asking you, our listeners, to tell us about what you're imagining you'll do when the pandemic is finally in the rear window. We're getting some vaccine news that is giving people (laughs) the audacity to try to imagine what that's like again, or just the permission needed to really think about the post-pandemic time, and also even reflect on the things that they might miss from this time as hard as it's been. And let me go to another call right away, Fiona in San Mateo. Hi, Fiona. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I am going to miss the fact that I, right now, don't have to chase three small children down, shove their feet into some shoes and a jacket, and get them in the car about three times a day for school and after-school sports. That was a huge stress. Um, Right now, we just eat breakfast and then waddle over to our at-home learning. (laughs) And it's kind of, um, it's a blissful part of the pandemic for me. So that I will... I will miss. Fiona, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, that that is actually the biggest thing that I noticed when the pandemic hit was that I didn't have that frantic morning rush of getting the kids to school before I had to start work. Um, Again, about kids, Christina tweets, I had a baby at home on March 26th, so he really has not experienced the world or met any of his family. He's such an exuberant little being, and I cannot wait to introduce him to life outside and beloved ones and for him to shine his joy on others. I mean, Anna, you have really young kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> How do you, what like, what has the pandemic made you think about in terms of, of them, their lives, their worlds? Oh, so many things, uh, but a few things. My youngest is just turning two this month. And so she doesn't really have much of a memory um, of what, what life was like when, when we were all gathering and getting together. Um, you know, the thing that I in the, the the brief moment window now when when playgrounds were open over here in Berkeley like she just slides blew her little mind like she was so into playgrounds because they were wrapped in yellow tape for so long and to be able to just uh, go at it on the playground was such a fun thing to watch um and I also have you know she she is a she's a little little extrovert kid um you can tell even from how she interacts on zoom she loves people she remembers names as she's learning words like she's she's really into meeting people and I I kind of wonder if that enthusiasm is because it's a treat now that she gets to see somebody new um, and not something that's built into our lives. But I, I have thought about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Jane in Santa Cruz. Join us, Jane. Oh, good morning. Um, I was, I called because I hadn't thought about this until the question came up. What might I miss? I am quite hard of hearing. Even with hearing aids, I have difficulty. Jane, did we lose you there for a second? Yeah, go right ahead. You have difficulty hearing even with hearing aids? Yeah, and what I love is that since all my gatherings, whether they're meetings where, you know, volunteer groups that I'm part of or um, other situations, we do it on Zoom or some other medium like that, and I can hear everybody. Ah. I don't have to keep saying, what? Would you repeat that? In meetings, I often say that, or sometimes somebody else will become my advocate and will say, 
remember to speak up. <laughs> I never have to do that. Well, Jane, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that that's what it's done because it is incredibly frustrating if you're hard of hearing um, to not be able to hear everybody. And, you know, kind of on the lines of what this pandemic, what people have gained to some extent, this listener writes, I know that this pandemic has devastated millions of people and I am deeply empathetic. However, for me personally, it has been a godsend. I have PTSD and depression related to military trauma and have felt deep shame about the fact that I am not able to work. I am also extremely introverted and even in the best of times find social expectation somewhat overwhelming. COVID-19 has given me permission to stay home and permission to not interact with many people. It has taken away the pressure and the shame and I felt more content, happier and more myself these last nine months than I have in the past decade. I really hope this break gives me momentum to return to life after things go back to quote, normal. Hmm. Wow. You know, Mina, that those two um, right back to back about accessibility and hearing and, and about the, the social pressures to engage in, in socially in a very particular way, it makes me wonder and hope for in our post-pandemic lives that that because we've sort of broken up a lot of the expectations about what showing up for work looks like or what showing up for a meeting has to look like or the ways to gather with friends has to be in a certain way like maybe we can bring with us this awareness that people need different things um maybe the morning routine is too tough for you as a parent getting your kids to school so that first meeting you're going to do over zoom and maybe that's fine maybe um because it's easier to hear you're going to zoom in to to that organizing meeting instead of showing up in that really, you know, hard to hear cafeteria or something. Um, so maybe we will bring with us a little bit more flexibility um, because we've learned that we can show up for each other in lots of different ways. Yeah, that's such a good point. And also, you know, reading that comment also reminded me of parents of neurodivergent children saying how much this time has really brought out their kids, the, the mm. pressures that came with having to go to school every day. And that it just really has, like in the words of that last commenter, been a godsend for their for their children. Wendy writes, what I've gained is that I have no more fear of missing out because I'm not missing out on anything except human <laughs> companionship. <laughs> and Stephanie writes, I treasure the creative pursuits. I've been taking improv, drawing, writing and dance classes and doing a lot of crafts and baking. I love the more hunkered down at home lifestyle. Alex tweets, I look forward to resuming teaching in-person college courses at San Quentin State Prison. We put our classes on hold last March and haven't been back in since. Let me see if I can go to Bill in Alameda. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Are you there? Well, while we try to connect. Oh, Bill, is that you? Okay, let me go to Eric in Sacramento. Hi, Eric. Hi, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I appreciate the show and this forum and, and especially this conversation. Um, I'm a funeral director mm. and I um, actually manage three funeral homes here in the Sacramento area. And one of our biggest challenges is, you know, people don't really understand funeral directors. I think I, uh, you know, we come to this business because we want to be of service to others. Um, it's about those that are living. It's about those families and, and assisting them in in creating a uh, memorial service or funeral service that has meaning, 
that follows rituals and traditions of, of their, their families, their ancestors. And, you know, since March, we have been unable to do normal services in our buildings. We, we have a tent set up that we can do services there, but now we're limited to, you know, only 10 people outside. And for professionals who are so wired to never say no, but to say, let me see, um, we're hmm. in a position where we're having to tell these families, many of which in, in our market are uh, uh, of Asian uh, heritage with strong um, rituals around death. Um, and for us to, to, to be saying, no, no, we can't do that, or it, it's been heartbreaking for us yes. um, because we see it in their eyes. That they, they know we're in a pandemic but they cannot reconcile uh, not being able to do something that's so core to who they are. So I think, you know, one of the things we've been trying to do is, is telling people, no, we can't do this today, but, you know, nobody can come anyhow. So let's, let's get together next spring when people can travel, when people can gather. And let's honor this life the way it needs to be honored, because we can't do that now. So let's do that in six months or seven months. So we're really trying to give them an alternative. But um, this has not been easy on our profession. Um, it's been incredibly difficult. And keeping us, you know, we're essential workers. So keeping a staff that is, you know, still motivated and understanding and looking for alternatives um, it, it has been a challenge. I will be glad when this is over. Eric, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, just hearing about that experience for you and just sort of how how this has been such a soul-searching time, Anna, and the things that we're learning about the work that we do and the people that we live among you know, Joelle writes, COVID has brought out a greater sense of community in our neighborhood, the distance chatting with neighbors and waving at and greeting people walking and running. I hope that persists to some degree. I mean, one of the things that I was really struck by um, as I'm hearing these responses, and as I was saying earlier, how our conversation moved from, you know, the things that we imagined because of how hard and difficult this time has been, but also sort of the things we want to keep, is just how intertwined pain and, and joy <laughs> really are um there's so much that we felt both of during this time yeah yeah and i think that that's been kind of challenging um for a lot of people to reconcile it's hard to it's hard to find the right words to say there's something about this time that i think i will look back and treasure in the midst of the awareness of how much suffering and unequal suffering there has been um but yeah. uh, in different ways i think all of us are or have encountered, you know, things that that we didn't expect to happen in 2020 um, that that have felt like nice gifts and and also certainly a, a lot of really deep pain. Well, let me see if I can fit one last person in Frank in San Jose. Hi, Frank. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 68 years old. My wife is 67. Uh, a few years ago, we moved uh, from the East Coast to San Jose in order to uh, be closer to our daughter and our son-in-law when they had two chip, when they, when they had two little boys, uh, we, we were new grandparents. 
Uh, with this pandemic, ironically, uh, they they no longer, you know, they, they, they both work full time. They can work out of their home, but they no longer uh, can uh, really bring in an outsider for child care or go to go to daycare. So we uh, the, the who are supposed to be the bonus grandparents are now the full time caretakers for these two little boys. And. Uh, Take your time, Frank. <laughs> and, it's, and it's been an absolute joy uh, to, uh, to spend some time. <laughs> you know, it's been an absolute joy, and uh, we would never trade this for the world, you know, and uh, we uh, we were able to manage, we managed to, to move into an apartment directly across the street from where they live, so... Uh, we we are uh, we are getting we, we've developed an incredible bond with this uh, three year old boy. And, and, uh, so so I just want to say this is something we would uh, never give up. Something we gained uh, from from this pandemic. Oh, Frank, I think you made both me and Anna tear up. <laughs> um, I am so glad that you have had that special time, and I. Absolutely cannot think of a better way to um, end the show on that note, Frank. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Anna Sale, thank you so much for being with me today uh, to to hear and reflect on the kinds of answers that we have gotten today and and really what they tell us about what is most important to us. Yeah, it's been a real it's been a real honor. Thanks for having me, Mina. Anna Sale, host and creator of the podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. And now we are going to end the hour with a little bit of music. And I think we're going to treat ourselves to a couple songs today, not just one. And uh, first up, uh, this is a song sent to us by listener Liesl. Best Friend Song by Rozzy is getting me through 2020. It's the ultimate ode to friendship. During this crazy time, I've been in daily contact with a text thread of best friend girlfriends. It's been life-saving, funny, warm, sad, all these emotions. And the tune and the lyrics are sing-along at their really very best. I want to go to a party and only talk to you. I stay at home on our phones maybe for an hour or two. When I'm kind of sick of everyone, everyone but you, let's go to Cheryl Crow karaoke, it's all I want to do. If I was ever gonna get a tattoo, I'd want to get a half a heart to match you, it's you. That was Best Friend Song by Rozzy. Thanks to listener Liesl for sharing it with us. Next song, next up is a song a little more somber. It's called No Time for Love Like Now by Michael Stipe and the Big Red Machine. Sent to us by listener Tanya, who writes, This song is helping me to remember to live life now. We can't wait, just because it's the end of the world as we've known it. No time for arguments. No time for love like 
No Time for Love Like Now by Michael Stipe and the Big Red Machine. Thanks, Tanya, for sharing it with us. And to close out this mini music segment, listener Jonathan sent us the song, If I Was President by Las Cafeteras. He writes, because young people get it. That's If I Was President by Las Cafeteras. Thanks to listener Jonathan for sharing it with us. And if you want to hear all the songs listeners are recommending, you can check it out and follow us at KQED's The Music Getting You Through 2020 playlist on Spotify. Thanks to Ariana Prail for curating that. Thanks to Judy Campbell for producing today's segment. Form is also produced by Tina Lauerberg, Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, Susan Britton. Our senior editor is Dan Zoll. Our engineer is Danny Bringer and also Katie McMurrin. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. Our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim. It is such a privilege to talk with you regularly, listeners. Have a great weekend. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.